Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, would you please welcome Smita Singh to C4 this morning? Welcome. So Smita, I was in Uganda just a couple months ago, and one thing that I learned is that everyone, it seems, who serves in ministries like this has an incredible story of how they got started in it. So could you tell us how you got started doing this? Yes, so I had started my journey with just rescuing uh, young girls, and I think the first time that uh, I walked into a hotel room and saw families come with their young girls to sell them, uh, that it just really hit really hard that it was happening in my town, it was happening to little children in my city. And just knowing that there are over 300,000 or 400,000 young girls who are in slavery uh, in Kolkata and the surrounding areas, and just seeing that huge need, uh, I think God just convicted me very, very strongly that this is where I need to be. It's an incredible number, 300,000. It's just very difficult to wrap our minds around it. As you've been doing this work, has there been a highlight? Has there been something just incredible that has happened as you've been doing this that you could share? So the last six years have been the place where I started the Mahima Homes and with the hope that girls would come to Christ. Yes, they would be restored and healed, but they would know the redeeming love of Christ. And that I've had to wait six years. And this year on Valentine's Day, we had four of our girls who went through the waters of baptism and accepting Christ. As Amazing. So six years in the books, mm -hmm. many more I'm sure planned. Uh, what are you working towards now, moving forward? Right, moving forward with regard to the rehabilitation, I think we are doing a good in a good place and girls are healing. But the fact is that unless we address the source from where they come and we address the demand in the cities where they, there are the men who are creating this demand, the problem does not really get holistically addressed. So looking forward, we are looking to go into rural villages where these girls are being brought from, where the traffickers prey on these people, on their vulnerabilities, and exploit these families and bring these children from because there is complete lack of awareness and education. There they don't know, you know, simple things. They don't have a photograph of their child, that if the child goes missing, that they can go to the police. So we want to focus more on educating them uh, to keep their children safe, involving the local governments in the villages, but also in the cities to work with the young men uh, in schools from grades 9 to 12 because they need to view women differently. Our society is one that just objectifies and sexualizes women in a way that I think does not happen anywhere across the world yeah. because as you understand, the demand for these young children come from our own men. Yeah. It's not from people coming from other parts of the world. So these are the young people, I think, who need to think differently and view women differently. So that is the path we are taking now over the next three years. Yes, thank you. We have a unique opportunity as a church because, uh, as I said, you are one of our partners, mm -hmm. which means that we're not just cutting you a check. We, we have the, a, a relationship. Could you describe to us so that, so that we can be encouraged and that's so we know, how are we as a church benefiting, helping, partnering with what you're doing? The check does help. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much, and I'm so grateful for that. 
that it allows me to continue to do the work. Uh, but much more than that, I think when the team comes over, like last year they did, and just the friendships and relationships that have developed, uh, they did a movie, a Bollywood film with my girls, and Angela was part of that, and the team was part of that. We watch it all the time, and the girls just love it because they see, uh, you know, that people have come all the way across the world. They care about them, to want to invest in them, and want to take care of them. Uh, we have someone from your church who is now with me, and I'm very blessed to have Angela Brown, uh, who's gone from here. She has done all her studies in using expressive arts as part of therapy, and she is training my staff to build up a stronger program uh, that will bring healing in a different, uh, using different modalities, so we appreciate that. Uh, just, I think, just having that connection and uh, being able to know that, you know, you are praying for me because I regularly get, send me what are your prayer requests, and I know that I'm really protected and I'm blessed because of the prayer support that we receive from here. So these are all the different ways in which you have connected with us, and I'm deeply, deeply appreciative and grateful for that. Well, I did not know Pastor Angela was a Bollywood movie star. Oh, that's, yes, that's pretty good. Uh, we are going to be sending another team uh, to serve and to help what Smita is doing at the Mahima Home. I believe later in 2016. Have I got that right? Yes. Later in 2016. And if you're a part of, of this church, uh, you can apply to go. Uh, the applications are available now on the C4 website. And, and one of the unique parts of this as a partnership is that when you come home, uh, you can be educated, you can learn and grow in the area of human trafficking. Because it exists here in Durham region. And Larry Shanks would tell you about that. Because when Larry went last year, God put an incredible burden on his heart. And now he didn't just come home a different person. But he's come home and now he's doing something about it here in the Durham region. Smita, I want to pray for you. Uh, but I want to ask you if you would pray for us first. To Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we invite you this morning into our hearts into the areas of our own brokenness, Lord, and we pray that may your grace uh, just free us from those things. And, uh, Lord, you are our restorer. You are our redeemer. You are the one who brings us into hope, Lord. And we pray that you fill us with your grace this morning as we hear your word and that we just walk closer to you. Father, we just thank you for this church, for the people who walk through these doors, for the leadership, Lord, and the vision that you have given to them that... Um, that you call them to be your hands and feet on the ground, to be the salt and the light, Father. And that as they break chains of oppression locally and globally, Father, we pray that you guide them with your wisdom and may they walk in the paths that you lead them on, Lord. And Father, as I pray this morning for those who are newly baptized in this church, I, I know how much joy that gives you to have uh, people come to you, Lord, and to know that... Uh, what a sweet relationship we have uh, to just know your redeeming love in our lives, Lord Father, and there's the freedom that comes with that. And I pray that you hold these young people close to you, people who've just young in their faith walk with you, Lord Father, and that you just help them to see and walk with you as you take them on probably the most beautiful journey they will ever be on. Father, Lord, I continue to pray as you grow this church and you help them to just... Uh, be closer to you in everything that they do and they think and they go. Father, and I pray that you bless the leadership team taking them forward. Father, I pray all of this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Lord, we thank you for Smita. Thank you that she is here with us this morning. And we thank you for bringing us as a church together with her and what she's doing in this partnership we've entered into. We thank you for the kingdom of God and that it is active and it is alive literally all over the earth. So much more than just a hashtag. Lord, thank you for showing me that a couple months ago in Uganda. We pray for Smita and her staff as they provide aftercare and rehabilitation care for these girls that have been uh, rescued out of the sex trade. We pray that they would not go back in. Lord, the life change would be so real that their lives would be changed forever. We thank you and praise you for the girls and even staff member who was baptized just recently. Lord, we pray for more baptisms because it is one of the most profound and concrete examples of faithfulness and life change that you have done. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of of partnering so much so that we have brought an intern over there, Angie Brown. We pray that you would be with Angie right now, wherever she is. We pray that you would encourage her, Lord, that she would be reminded that we are praying for her and that we are with her. And Lord, as we prepare to send another team, I pray that you would orchestrate the right team to go. I pray that even this morning, Lord, perhaps you would be prompting people to look into it. Lord, that you would put a team together that would bless the Mahima home in the way that they need to be served. Lord, we also want to pray for another church in our community, uh, New Hope Church, with my friend Matt Harmon and his wife Josie, this new church plant in North Pickering. Lord, we pray that you would help them to reach their community as they have asked us to help them pray for. We pray that you'd help them reach their community with the love of Jesus, particularly with those, Lord, who have walked away from the church and who have become estranged from you. We pray that you would encourage them and empower them as they worship you this morning. And we pray, Lord, that they would be a bright light shining for the gospel in North Pickering. Lastly, Lord, we pray for Pastor Lori as she comes to preach in just a few moments. We pray that you give her strength, Lord. We pray that your strength will be made perfect in her weakness as your scriptures promise. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us listening ears and open hearts. We would not only be hearers of the word, Lord, but doers as well. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Can we thank Mita one more time? Well, good morning, C4. You know, after that interview, Joel, I just have to say I'm so encouraged to be part of a church that supports women in leadership and women in ministry. And this morning, I'm going to tell you the story about a woman. You know, sometimes we go through life and we struggle in our faith, don't we? Uh, that's why we're doing this study called Take, Take Heart. We want you to grow in faith. We want you to understand what it means to be a person of faith, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're young or old. You know, Hebrews 11 is a great passage, and it's a story of people that trusted God. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says it like this. This is what it says faith is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Last week, Pastor John described faith like this. He said, faith is not blindly leaping, but informed trust. It is fact, belief, and it is encounter. It is experience. Webster's Dictionary defines faith like this. It says, Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. It is having strong belief and putting confidence and trust in someone or something. Now, let me ask you, have you ever put your faith in something or someone, put your confidence and trust, but they let you down? Yeah, okay, well, 
I've been a little busy lately, and I've had the opportunity to do some traveling and speaking. I've been in Texas. I've been out west in Saskatchewan, and I had a a whole week of speaking tour in the good province of Saskatchewan. Well, let me tell you, when... uh, when you're in Saskatchewan, there's a lot of little towns, and, and of course, I wouldn't, didn't know how to get from one town to the other, so my, the worship leader, myself, we got in a car, and we had a driver, and, and she was, we put our confidence and faith in our driver because she was going to get us from town to town as we traveled and we shared uh, the message of the Word of God. So, you know, I put my faith in her because, first of all, I wouldn't even know where I was going. And in Saskatchewan, you see one town to the next time kind of looks all the same. Like it's fields and fields and flatness and has a beauty all its own. So here I am. I'm, I'm traveling uh, day in and day out, and we're going to all these towns, and, and I'm trusting my driver. And we were, you know, in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, which is like we went south, right, southeast, and we were there, and we had a great night, but we decided we needed to get back to Saskatoon that very night because the next day we were doing a two-day conference in Saskatoon. So, you know, I just curled up in the back seat. I figured if I'm back in Saskatoon by 1 a.m., I'm going to be fine. And the next thing I know, you know, it, it's it's past midnight, and we're driving, and, of course, everything looks the same. And And then I hear this sort of ruckus in the front seat. And my driver's like, oh, my gas light just came on. Now, people, it is past midnight, and we are in Saskatchewan. And there's not a whole lot of gas stations. See, once you pass Regina, there isn't gas for many, many miles. And if your gas light has come on, well, frankly, you would be in trouble. So here was the solution. Uh, We pulled into the next small town that's called Bethune. Now, has anybody ever been to Bethune? Oh, we've been to Bethune. Okay. Did you have gas? Did you run out of gas too? Because apparently this happens a lot in Bethune that people pull off because they're in the middle of nowhere, frankly. Well, we pull in. There are a few houses in Bethune. There are people who live there. And there's there were trucks all around this building. And scratched onto the side of the building was Bethune's Bar and Grill. Now, I'm a little bit of a city girl. You know, like, this is where I live, right? This is kind of creeping me out a little bit. It's late. It's dark. But, you know, our driver, I was putting my faith and my confidence in her. And she said to me, I do street ministry. That was to be assuring. So out she gets in the car. I tell Bailey, this young little worship lady, I said, you stay in the car, Bailey. Do not get out of the car. And she go, my driver goes in and has this conversation with what turns out to be Irene and the boys at Bethune's Bar and Grill at 1 now 30 a.m. in the morning. Well, you see, Irene and the boys came up with a great plan. They come outside. Well, I got Bailey in the car. The door whips open and Irene says, do you have a knife? Do you have a knife? Like, Bailey just about jumped out of her skin. What do you mean, do you have a knife? We're in the middle of nowhere. We're being asked if we have a knife. Well, matters, they take matters into their own hands, and Irene and the boys decide that they're going to siphon gas into our car from the trucks in the parking lot, and the way they're going to do this is they're going to borrow, I would suggest steal, the garden hose from the owner of the bar. 
So that's why they needed the knife, because they needed to cut the brand new garden hose, a section of it, to begin siphoning gas into our car. Well, honestly, matters, they just, hours by hours seemed to tick by, and no gas was coming. And the guy, Phil, actually, they're all potash mine workers, you know, he's there getting a little bit dizzy from sucking the air out of the... I'm just, you can't write this stuff. Like, you just can't make this kind of stuff up. Well, long story short, after Irene and the boys failed to get gas from the truck with the stolen hose from the bar owner, uh, somebody said, is anyone a member of CAA? (laughs) My driver was. Do you know that CAA makes promises? They promise to bring you gas whenever you run out. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in Bethune in the middle of nowhere, and they will bring you gas. Well, CAA came through, and I got back to Saskatoon at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. I'm telling you, be careful who you put your faith in. Be careful who or what you put your confidence and trust in. But I can tell you, if you put your confidence and trust in the CAA, they will come through because they are able to. This morning, we're going to look into the story of a woman named Sarah. Now, you might think Sarah had great faith, and this story is going to be all about her great faith. But here's what you're going to learn. I'm going to tell you right at the top. Don't put your faith in faith itself. Put your faith in the one that is faithful. Put your faith in the one who can actually come through. You see, Sarah is a story about a woman who put her faith in the one who was actually able to come through. And there's one verse in Hebrews 11 that tells us this. Hebrews 11, verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So Sarah makes the hall of faith. We're going to be talking about people in the next nine weeks who made this extravagant list of faith. So she must have been an amazing woman of God, right? Full of faith. She never doubted God. She was physically unable to bear a child. She was past past the age of bearing children. Her womb had dried up. It was impossible. But she considered God faithful who had made the promise. So she must have trusted God without doubting, without wavering, because if you're a person of faith, you don't doubt God, right? Well, Sarah wasn't perfect. And we're going to learn, actually, that we're going to learn from real people and real stories in this chapter of faith. And here's what I'm going to tell you from the top of this series as we meet people over these next few weeks that if we over-spiritualize the people in, the, in these stories, we actually do them a disservice because it takes away from their obedience. 
it takes away from their pain. It takes away from actually their journey of faith. So let's look at her story. You see, God had given her uh, husband Abraham a promise that he would be the father of a great nation. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. This is a promise like CAA, we will bring you gas even if you're in Bethune. God makes promises and he's able to come through. And this is the promise that he made her husband Abraham in Genesis 12. It says, I will make you, Abraham, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is a profound blessing and a promise from a God who is able to keep his promises. Do you know that Abraham was 75 years old when he received that promise? So that means Sarah was about 65. Now she lived till 127. So in, in her years and in their years, they were in their midlife. They had already lived a lot of their life before God gave them this promise. Um, But there's a problem with the promise. You see, in chapter 11, the chapter before, we meet Sarah, and it says this about Sarah, who was named Sarai at the time. Now, Sarai was childless because she wasn't able to conceive. So the question here is, God makes her husband a promise, but we already know that she's not able to conceive and have children, How will God keep his promise? Well, the name Sarah or Sarai actually means one of importance, one of honor, a princess. You see, Sarah had it all, actually. She married well. She married Abraham, who was the leader of this tribe. He was wealthy. He had lots of respect. Um, He was in charge of many people, people listened to Abraham and Abraham loved her. And you know how we, what makes him such an awesome husband is he not only loved her, he had one wife. You see, that might not be shocking to us today, but in that time, if a person like Abraham, he could have had many wives. But we are, we are, we see Abraham as a loyal, loving husband. And you know what else about Abraham? He had one God. You see, in that culture, leaders like Abraham would have had many gods. So he was a man with one God and one wife. Ladies, this was the kind of man that we wanted to be married to. And you know what? Sarah was a very powerful person in her own right. Because of her position in culture and in this tribe, she would have had actually great authority and great responsibility over the tribe that they led. We are told that their tribe had a thousand warriors. Well, if there were a thousand warriors in their tribe, there were many more women and children. Sarah would have been respected. Sarah would have been listened to, and she would have had great responsibility and shared uh, over the tribe with her husband, Abraham. We are also told that she was very beautiful. In fact, she was so beautiful, even when she was 90 years old, other kings noticed her. Ladies, there's hope, okay? (laughs) Just because you get old doesn't mean you have to get ugly. Sarah was beautiful. 
And in fact, we are told in other stories that this beauty got her and Abraham in trouble. How often do we define, though, our lives by not what we have, but by the one thing we lack? You see, Sarah lacked one thing. She did not have a child. And her life, in many ways, could have been defined by her lack of that one thing. How many of you, your life right now is not defined by all that God has given you, all the blessings that he is giving you, but you define your life and your position and your experience by the lack of the one thing you don't have. Maybe you, like Sarah, are childless. You lack a child, and this is the pain of your life. Maybe you lack a job. Maybe you lack a spouse. Maybe you lack money or education. The list goes on, doesn't it? We get to choose whether our life becomes defined by all that God has given us and count and pay attention to all those blessings or whether we define our life and be consumed to the point of being defined by the one thing we lack. You see, in Sarah's culture, this lacking of a child was a very significant thing. And because it was actually one of your greatest contributions and achievements, women who struggled with infertility carried a very heavy burden, even as they do today, but even more so in that they would be outcasts from society in many cases. There was much suspicion over women who were not able to bear children. And many of them would never receive any kind of respect or kindness. So maybe those of you are listening today, and your lack is like Sarah. You're struggling even now with infertility. I want you to lean in and listen to Sarah's story. You're going to be able to share in her experience of pain, as some of you also will be able to share in the experience of pain of others in their life waiting month after month without a child. But you see, God had promised Abraham a son. It had to be a son because it had to carry on his name in order for him to be the father of a great nation. Imagine Sarah's angst with this. Is she letting God down? Is she letting Abraham down? Like she has to play a crucial role in this promise, doesn't she? I mean, to have no children would mean that actually Abraham's slave would gain all of the inheritance of Abraham. Time was ticking, and we learn that Sarah is now about 77 years old. Almost 15 years later, after the promise was given, and still no child. We can assume even by history and her age and stage that most likely she's trusted God all through this journey, believing God that he is able to provide and, and, and going through the journey of trusting God. And yet at this age, we could assume that her monthly cycle has now stopped, that physically there is no possible way for her now to conceive a child. Where there might have been hope, there is now no hope. So what does she do? Well, she believed God, but she figured maybe it wasn't going to be through her. So let's go to plan B. You see, Sarah and Abraham, by the way, agreed that that Hagar, who was Sarah's handmaiden, 
would become pregnant by Abraham, and that, in fact, would be their baby. So that's what they did. Look what it says in Genesis 16. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband, to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, before you judge too harshly, this was actually an acceptable custom in the time. You see, there were no fertility clinics. There were no sperm banks. I mean, there was surrogate mothers. This was an acceptable way and it was actually a legal, legitimate arrangement. It was a normal practice and it was legitimate. Notice that Hagar became Abraham's wife. They were not actually rebelling against God or not having faith that the promise wasn't true. In fact, I would suggest that Sarah believed God's promise so much that I think that she actually wanted to see it fulfilled. She believed that God could give Abraham a son But she has determined at this point in time that she would not have the privilege of being the mother of that child. You see, so many years had passed and Sarah's womb was not open. So she went to plan B. Ishmael was then born to Hagar and Ishmael becomes Abraham's legitimate son. The promise is fulfilled, right? Well, Abraham would have loved Ishmael. Ishmael was his only son. In fact, for 13 years, they would have all believed that Ishmael was the actual fulfillment of the promise. Legally, it was true. Legitimately, in their customs, it was true. And they had no other reason to believe that Ishmael wasn't, in fact, the fulfillment of this promise. We know that things did not go well with Hagar and Sarah. I mean, we can't quite imagine, but I think having multiple wives is a problem to begin with. Their relationship broke down. Hagar showed disrespect to Sarah, who was an honorable woman. And eventually Sarah asked Abraham to send Hagar away. But you see, even in the story of Ishmael, God was faithful He kept his promise even to this son of Abraham. And Ishmael actually became a very powerful, uh, great nation. In fact, today, the nation of Israel is the nation of Islam. What does God do with our plan Bs? Does he say, you blew it? You know, you lose my promise. You didn't stay on the straight and narrow Does having faith in God look like a straight path? And if you veer off this way or veer off this way, well, you've blown it. God says, well, I'm done with you. I will figure out a way to accomplish what I want to accomplish. No. You know, God continues to work out his plan in our life. His plans and his promises, he's a promise keeper. In spite of the shortcuts or the side trails that we might take in our life, he doesn't waste them. In fact, 
He goes with us on our side trails. He doesn't abandon us because God is a relational God. He journeys with us even when we digress. See, when we digress and make choices in our life, our plan Bs, we often look at them as complete failures. But you know, God, he's a way of redeeming everything. He is a faithful God. And when he makes a promise to you, he's going to keep it. And you know what? He waits patiently for us in these seasons. And when we come back and participate in his ways, he brushes us off. He says, by the way, I was with you the whole time. I love you, and I'm going to actually use, I'm going to use your side trail. I'm going to use that in your life because I'm such a redeeming God. You know, the most important thing about growing in faith is not necessarily the, the place where you're going or where you think you're heading, but it's about a process of becoming more like the one you're following. You see, the faith journey is relational. It's about trusting in the one who you're putting your faith in. Uh, Hebrews 12, the next chapter, talks about how God disciplines us and trains us and molds us and shapes us while we're on our journey. And that is actually the agenda of God. He shapes us and disciplines us, but he is a promise keeper. And he is able, he's unable not to keep his promise in spite of the twists and turns that we make in our life. You know, faith is fact. Faith is getting to know the God and the one you're following. And faith is also encounter. It's relational. It's about putting the trust, putting your trust in the one you're following. In a sense, there's really no plan Bs with God. He uses all of it. He uses our twists and turns because he's primarily interested in relationships. Faith is about trust. This is the journey of our Christian life. Let's pick up a Sarah story. Sarah's story now 25 years later. Sarah is now about 90. Ishmael is on the scene. They figure the promise is now going to be fulfilled. But God shows up. You know, the, there's an encounter that happens in your faith journey. And God will speak to you. And he comes to Abraham and Sarah with a message. And there are three messengers that come in this story. One of them could have been the Lord Jesus himself. We don't know that for fact. But we do know this for sure, that these messengers were from God and had a message directly from God. Listen to what happens in Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. It's an ordinary day an ordinary day. Do you know that God speaks to us in our ordinary days? Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. Now that would be customary. That is a customary greeting of that culture to say, you are welcome here. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Come and join me. Come and be refreshed. Let me get something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So it tells us how he went about, and Sarah, he asked his servants, and Sarah, and they got the, all the food, and they were, everyone was working, getting the meal ready. And then in verse 8, he then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. 
While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where's your wife? They asked him. Well, there in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and were well advanced in years. No kidding. She was 90. He was 100, okay? And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So what would you do? Sarah laughed. She thought, after I'm worn out, and by the way, my husband's worn out too. We're both old. Will I now have a pleasure of having a child? I mean, can you understand her response? In verse 12, Sarah's response is, are you kidding me? I mean, look at me. I'm all worn out. Not only me, but look at that old guy over there. Like, we are just beyond this. Anybody think you're beyond the miraculous promise of God? You 90? You 100? Then you are not beyond what God says he will do. She laughed. Well, some of you might think, well, how dare she? She's so disrespectful. I would never laugh. Well, I'll tell you my Sarah moment. It was an ordinary day. I was washing dishes, standing at my sink. Some of you know my story. I've been praying for my kids to come back to the Lord for many years now, many years. The door swung open from the garage, and in comes my son, Curtis, pacing through the kitchen, I'm doing dishes, probably not thinking about anything else other than I just wish these dishes would go away. And my son says, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. What? Like my son hadn't been in church for years. Well, the woman of faith that I am, unfortunately, I opened my mouth. (laughs) And I said, well, I'll believe that when I see it. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, he should have taken a lightning bolt from heaven and struck me dead right then. How can I say I believe God and I was praying for my kids to return to Jesus and I'm doing the dishes and the moment came that I never ever thought it would come in such an ordinary place. And he says, I think I'm going to go to church tomorrow. No, he said, I have to go to church tomorrow. And I opened my mouth. I'll believe that when I see it. Oh, my. Have you ever laughed? Have you ever dismissed when God is actually ready to show up and you open your mouth? And you say that in your mind, you're actually saying, I, I, don't, I don't believe it. I don't have faith. I need to see that before I believe that. I was Sarah at the sink. <laughs> But you know what? God didn't, he, in my heart, instantly he stirred me. He just, it took my breath away, actually. I'm like, I can't believe what just came out of my mouth. How weak is my faith? But God saw me, he saw Sarah, and this is his response. Then the Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, remember, she's only thought this in her mind, so, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah, she will have a son. Well, Sarah was afraid. And she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did. Yes, you did laugh. Can you hear the tone of the voice of God? The Lord said that to me. I was afraid when my mouth opened, I realized what I said out loud. I was ashamed. I was afraid. You see, I was afraid that the hope that I'd put in God for years actually wouldn't come true. That something inside of me would be completely crushed. But the Lord is so merciful to us. And here's what I tell you again that I told you at the beginning. Do not put faith in faith itself. Because faith itself in our life can be so weak. It can be so conditional. You could be washing the dishes and God's ready to show up and you open your mouth. You can't put faith in faith itself. You have to put faith in the one who is faithful. Sarah was afraid. I was afraid. Maybe the very thing that's keeping you from putting faith in God is because you're afraid. What? Why are we so afraid? You see, fear keeps us from being people of faith. Fear keeps us from believing that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he will do. Fear causes us to laugh Because we're afraid of being disappointed. We're afraid of being wrong. We're afraid of what if. The fear factor. In our table talk videos, John and I do for our connect groups, John said this last week in the video. He said, you know, in this series, we're going to have to wrestle down the the fear factor. We're going to wrestle down the fear factor in the next nine weeks that fear and faith, they are incompatible. They are incompatible. Because fear is actually unbelief. Fear is actually weak belief. James 1 talks about it this way, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When we, as unbelief gains an upper hand in your life, as you go back and forward and you, you are double-minded, you, you let fear rule and reign in your mind and your emotions and your thoughts, it starts taking hold of you, doesn't it? It starts that worry and fear. The only way to get worry and fear out of your life is to grow in faith. You have to get rid of unbelief by growing in faith. We need to understand that faith is not something that we can actually produce in ourselves. Please lean in and please hear what the Word of God has to say. Faith is actually a gift from God. Look at Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. You know, none of us would believe God. We don't have the actual capacity to believe God. We we cannot create faith and muster it up in ourselves. But we have to ask God to give us faith. Have you ever asked God to give you faith? Do you sit around waiting for faith to drop on you from a tree somewhere or from the sky? Or I'm just not a person of faith. Well, have you asked God to give you faith? Because scripture says it's a gift and it's actually from God. 
He is the one who gives you faith. It says in Romans 12, not to think of himself more thought, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God is the giver of faith and he gives you the amount of faith that you need. So ask God to give you faith. Ask God to give you faith. You see, one of the ways that we get faith in our life We need to ask for it, but Romans 10 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing from what is heard, and what is heard actually comes through the Word of God or through the preached Word of God. You need to get to church. You need to be in a connect group because you will grow in faith when you sit under the Word of God, the truth about who God is, as you sort and work that out with those people in that connect group of how you are growing and learning to trust a God that is giving you the faith to even begin the journey of trusting him. Sarah's response was based on fear. But during this encounter with God, Sarah's fears of a failed life, of not having met God's promise to be the mother of the son, God invades her heart and gives her hope again. Sarah was afraid that if she may be allowed hope to stir, that it would be crushed. And maybe that's where you're at today. Well, the messenger also responds by asking this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you in the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Is anything too hard for God? How would you answer that? Well, it's kind of, you know, it's a rhetorical question. I mean, we all know the answer is no. Nothing's too hard for God. But do we actually believe it? You see, this isn't actually a promise to claim. It's in that when we're going through difficult set of circumstances, we can just claim this verse as confidence that God is going to change our circumstances. That is not what this verse is for. He is capable of changing our circumstances. But perhaps the hard thing, the hard thing that he will do is to help us accept our circumstances and to put our faith in him. One said it this way. We must be careful that as we accept by faith that nothing is too hard for God, we do not begin to dictate to him which hard thing he must do. He tends to have things in mind that go far beyond what we are able to ask for or even think. You see, in this story, God did decide, in fact, that after 90 years, he would remove the obstacle, the limitation, the circumstance. And look what happens in Genesis 21. Now, the Lord was gracious. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah, what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son of Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Ninety and a hundred. Not to get graphic people, but this was done the old-fashioned way. You know, 
I mean, this, this, we cannot discount the fact that this was supernatural on the part of both God and the, and the, this is not an immaculate conception. This is the old fashioned way between a 90 year old and a hundred year old. God was surely gracious to Sarah and to Abraham. And notice it says in his time, in his time. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Isaac actually means laughter. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham waited a hundred years. Sarah waited 90 years. How long are you waiting that God is not able to unfold a great miracle and a promise in your life? Isaac, that promised son, had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and one of the 12 sons that Jacob had, his name was Judah. And out of the line and the tribe of Judah came our blessed Messiah, the Lord Jesus. From an old woman's dried-up womb comes a promised son to a young woman's virgin womb comes the Messiah, the King of Kings, Jesus through the line of truth the line of Judah. Amen. That's right. You see, God uses us old and worn out. God uses us young and yet experienced. He is the God who is able to do miraculous things because he is a God who keeps promises. So today that shortcut has consequences to it. We have the nation of Islam through Ishmael. We have the nation of Israel through Isaac. And to this day, they war and the center of their war is around our Messiah. Jesus is actually at the center of every battle that is going on, even today in, the, in our world. So it says in Hebrews eleven eleven, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was a great person of faith, because she never doubted God, because she believed God, because her faith was so huge. No, because the little faith that God had granted her, she put it in the one that she considered to be faithful and the one who made the promise. You see, it's not about how big your faith is. It's about how big your God is. You know, sometimes we think as Christians that we've got to be such people. That's someone else. They're a great person of faith. But God says, oh, you know what? I just asked for faith the size of a mustard seed. But it's who you're putting your faith in that matters. The one that is faithful. You see, the hero of this story, and I would suggest every story in Hebrews 11 is not the character. They're just people like us. The hero of the story is God. 
You see, that is what makes a great biblical story when God is actually the hero. When you open the scriptures this week, groups, when you read the passage and the passages that we have in our study guide and you look at the characters, we've asked you to ask the questions about who and what do you learn about God. Every time you read the scripture, you need to ask God, show me more of who you are. Because God is the hero of the story. He's the hero in every one of our lives. When we become the hero, when it becomes about our faith or our ability even to trust God, we need to start all over again and say, oh, woe is me. God, give me enough faith. But I will put my measly faith in the hands of a great God. You see, you will grow when your view of God grows. You don't necessarily grow when you grow in your own faith. You grow when you get to know a great God. The more you know how great God is, the stronger your faith is. Our culture would say, get to know yourself. Get very, you know, we spend a lot of time studying ourselves and how we are designed and how we are made, but often that is not helpful. The scripture says, look at who God is and then find your identity. Put your faith and your hope and confidence in a great God who is unable to be anything less than faithful. When he says it, he mean it, and he will do it in his time. Stop trying to accomplish things in your life because you think you're so great, because you think that you have such great faith, because our faith, it doesn't matter who we are, is actually nothing compared to the faithful one. It's nothing compared to who he is. You know, I'm going to welcome the band to come up as we close here, but you know what? I told you the beginning. Do not put faith in faith itself. Don't make the pursuit of faith about faith itself. People have faith and they put it in the wrong places. Sometimes they end up in Bethune with Irene and the boys. You know, like you got to put faith in the one who is faithful. Listen to the promises that our faithful God says over you. D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, God never made a promise that he was too, that was too good to be true. Here are just a sum of the promises of God. I will bless you. I will not fail you. I will heal you. I will guide you. I will teach you. I will deliver you. I will satisfy you. I will help you. I will strengthen you and uphold you and hold your hand. I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will be your God. I will love you. I will save you. Is that not the best hero of any story? Like, who do you put your faith in? If you don't know that God is every one of these promises, he guarantees he has the ability to follow through in your life. But if you're looking at yourself and your ability to have these things true, you will fail every time. You need to lean into the one who loves you. God is not going to take back these promises. He made these claims. He's good to his word. He came through for me. He went after my son even when I laughed and mocked. And my faith was weak so many times. God was able. He was able and he will do for you what he says he will do. God's name is on the line. You see, when you put God's name on the line and not your own name, he's so great. He does so many good things. But he does it in his time. You see, we have agendas for our life. 
And somehow we know that God wants to do great things, but we feel that we're responsible. But God says, you just have to trust me. Just walk with me. Be faithful to me. John reminded us last week, it's not about our fruitfulness. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about being faithful to the one who's able to be faithful to us. He will complete these promises in your life, but you got to know him. You got to follow him. You got to believe him. It says in Isaiah, my thoughts, they're nothing like your thoughts. It says the Lord, my ways, they're far beyond anything you could imagine. If you could understand God and the ways that he wants to work in your life, you would be so in awe of him. But repeat this phrase as I do continually in my life. Isaiah 56, God is God and I am not. Say it. God is God and I am not. Don't put faith in faith itself. Put faith in the one who is faithful. Ask God, the giver of faith, to give you faith. Some of you, you have not trusted Jesus. You have not found salvation in Jesus because you think it's about you being able to have faith to believe. God says, ask me to give you faith. Will you today say, God, give me enough faith to believe? Give me enough faith to believe that you are the faithful one. Some of you in circumstances of your life, you are struggling because of your lack of faith and belief. Will you ask God to give you enough faith? He will give it to you. It's a gift. He is faithful and he'll give you exactly the right amount of faith that you need for the journey that you're on. He is not a God who will disappoint. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you for this great reminder today. When we are faithless, you will give us faith. You are the faithful one. You are such a great God. From Sarah's womb, who was impossible, you birthed a promise. You completed that promise through the womb of a young virgin. And you continue to fulfill your grand promises to us today in our lives and our situation. May we be found faithful to follow the one who is faithful to us. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.